this is being motivated by Jews claiming it's actually a Jewish religious freedom that they need to have. They need to have the freedom to kill the fetus as a Jewish, and speaking in the name of the Jewish religion. Rabbi Yaakov Menken is the managing director of the Coalition for Jewish Values. He's the founding director of Project Genesis, the architect of Torah.org, and a frequent contributor on Newsmax Television. He's also very active on Twitter. I love following him. Enjoy it very much. You check out his Twitter feed, his Twitter account. Joins us today to discuss Kanye, Kyrie, Dave Chappelle, the ADL, maybe a little Ben Shapiro, and Rabbi Menken from the famous uh, backdrop that I get to see on Newsmax TV from your study. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. And look, uh, we can pick apart comments made by Kanye West, Dave Chappelle, Kyrie Irving. And uh, obviously, there's been a lot of anti-Semitism or borderline anti-Semitism that's been voiced in recent weeks. To me, the broader question is, and I'm curious your thoughts, how mainstream are the beliefs? You could argue that these are fringe celebrities, but are there perhaps tens of thousands, millions of Americans who believe the kinds of things that, let's say, Kanye West is expressing about Jews controlling the media and other such anti-Semitic tropes? Well, they're for sure not just fringe beliefs. Uh, There's a large segment. You know, they say hateful words lead to hateful actions. And, you know, there's obviously a, a huge section of the black community that's anxious to work with the Jewish community, that loves the Jewish community and the Jewish people, and we we lift and work with each other. But at the same time, you have to know when the Muncie machete attacker and the Jersey City gunman and 95 percent of the random violence that started in Brooklyn is coming out of that community. It's obvious that there's incitement going on within that community. It's not as if what Kanye had to say is radically different than what Louis Farrakhan has to say or Ilan Omar. So you have leaders in the black community on the right as well as on the left, clearly, uh, preaching this same nonsense. And that's resulting in some dangerous consequences for Jews. Why are we seeing such a spike in this? I don't know if it's the last, you know, the last few months, obviously, it's gotten very extreme, very vocal. I would say very you know, mainstream on social media, even Saturday Night Live. But I would think over the last few years, we've all noticed an uptick. And, you know, as opposed to, let's say, in the 1990s or the 2000s, where you just, you just simply didn't hear this kind of venomous hatred. Uh, is it, a, is it a, an outgrowth of social media or what's your opinion? Oh, for a long time, America was about being more sophisticated, more moral, having it together. Now you have this the the huge section of the country that just denigrates what the United States was all about from the beginning and the values that it embraced. And, you know, one thing was clear was that the United States, you know, there was a lot of anti-Semitism before the Holocaust. But after the Holocaust, uh, anti-Semitism, you know, I I think in the West largely kind of took a vacation for a while because all of a sudden to be a Nazi was the most degraded term you could call somebody. And for a long time, or as, as one professor put it to me, he said, the reason why you didn't hear on campus all the nonsense that you hear today about Israel's occupation and mistreatment of the Palestinians and et cetera, et cetera. Why didn't you hear that in the 1970s, right after this so-called occupation had started? Well, the answer is in the 1970s, you still had professors on campus who could remind students of that era 
you know, you sound awfully like Germans in the 1930s. You're just applying it to Israel, but otherwise that rhetoric is all the same. So what we're seeing is I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a uptick, but more like a recovery back to almost normal, sadly, normal levels of anti-Semitism uh, compared to what we were enjoying after the Holocaust when all of a sudden, for a while, it was reprehensible to display this kind of hatred towards Jews. That's a really interesting take. I've actually, I've never heard it put exactly that way. I do know historically, as you're saying, it's no surprise, it's no secret, but, you know, you look at Poland and Eastern Europe, uh, before, you know, obviously there's Spain, but after the Inquisition and the expulsion, it's almost just like from one pogrom to the next. Sometimes it's just painful to even read. You know, we we look at like the big events, uh, whether it's the Crusades or Tachvetat or Spanish expulsion, as I said, but it really wasn't like that. It was really much more, you know, decade to decade, unless they happened to get lucky and, uh, you know, have a leader who was in charge who maybe was a little bit more friendly to the Jews. So you're right. I mean, we kind of got lulled into this, I guess, false sense of security uh, where things have been, Baruch Hashem, really much more pleasant for, for many decades. And you're saying that, that that's not the norm. That's the anomaly. In one of the things that uh, the, the Jewish left has done is treated the Holocaust as if it were some sort of totally unique aberration in history. And that ignores the fact that across Europe during the previous millennium, there were over a hundred expulsions of Jews from various cities, states, entire countries. There were no Jews in England during this era, no Jews in France during that era. Of course, the pogroms, as you mentioned, and and uh, the Spanish expulsion and Portuguese expulsion. You know, this was unfortunately a a constant throughout. Uh, our our history of exile. And again, you know, I, I don't know that I myself thought about it so much in that light. But I think if you look at uh, these couple of decades after the Holocaust, it's been a very unusual situation. And it's still ongoing. We have more allies than we ever had before. And again, including in the black community, this is by no means a, you know, the entire black community against the Jews. It's not, that's not true at all. Uh, there are powerful voices on the side of the Jews, which I don't know that you had in Europe. So what do, what do you feel is the solution uh, or at least, you know, the next step? You know, I guess people are frightened a little bit in, in seeing the direction things are heading and kind of hearing a hatred that has been whether people have thought it or not, believed it or not. But it's been uh, kind of silent and now it's being vocalized and by mainstream figures, I would add. Uh, what what's the hope? You know, what can be done to to combat this and to make sure that things are safe, as safe as can be? Well, you know, what Chazal tell us remains true. Davin and learn is <laughs> is really the solution. Um, but I, I do think if in terms of practical things, uh, there's been a, you know, Hasbara coming out of Israel They've been so reluctant to call anti-Semitism anti-Semitism. And it's important to at least articulate the truth. Don't let them get away with claiming that it's a moral cause or a human rights cause when they're demonizing Jews who simply want to live and learn in Eretz Yisrael, which is all it is. I mean, this idea of a Palestinian, much less an indigenous Palestinian, the name Palestine comes from European colonialism. 
Let's not forget that. <laughs> we know that the Arch of Titus, the ultimate monument to bigotry in the world, comes out of the same people who were assigning the name Palestine specifically to divorce the connections between Jews and Judea. The reason why Israel jettisoned the name Palestine when they founded the modern state was because they wanted to reject that colonialist term. So they they readopted uh, Eretz Israel and called it Israel. Uh, that that makes sense when you claim that Palestine is some sort of separate country and the indigenous Palestinian is an Arab marauder from, you know, obviously from Arabia, the same people who took over Iraq and Egypt and the entire of northern coast of Africa. Uh, it's It's obvious that something sort of inversion is going on and look at what is a Palestinian. A Palestinian is anybody. They can be Bedouin, they can be Druze, Arab Muslim, Arab Christian, except for Jews. It's an exclusionary racist term used to exclude the Jews as if they're not indigenous to the Holy Land, and everybody else is. Very well said. I want to shift gears. I want to ask you about the ADL and about Elon Musk. And uh, the ADL, historically, over the last few years, has not been a friend of the Jews, I, I, you know, which is they're supposed to be their whole mission. And ironically, you know, they've almost thrown, you'd argue, the Jews under the bus. I'm not talking about even the Haredim. It's, it's been well established. Jonathan Greenblatt and the ADL, they support leftists. They support BDS supporters and uh, a lot of you know, radicals who are very anti-Israel. And the latest, they took uh, half a million dollars from Kyrie Irving. I think they were pressured to give it back. But um, the latest... And it's been it's pretty egregious is Elon Musk, as we have all are all aware, just reinstated a bunch of conservative accounts and re- reinstated President Trump's Twitter account that obviously got a lot of news. And Elon Musk didn't do it on his own. He actually put out a poll and uh, Trump won. Trump, tr- Trump, the majority requested that uh, Trump be reinstated. The ADL specifically requested they didn't request that the Ayatollah's Twitter account be suspended, as you pointed out. They didn't request uh, Louis Farrakhan, but they, they don't want Trump. They feel that Trump's Twitter account is somehow a major threat. Amazingly, I don't know if you saw this, Elon Musk, uh, late on Matsai Shabbos, responded to the ADL and to Jonathan Greenblatt and said, stop defaming me. He used the, that same word defamation. And I was pretty, that's a stunning tweet to me, you know, that Elon Musk basically called them out and, and, and said, why, why are you doing this to me? Why, I don't deserve this. Why, why are you defaming me for just allowing free speech? So what are your thoughts on all of that? Well, note that Elon Musk is, to a certain extent, trolling his his audience. (laughs) He's using Twitter to troll. So stop defaming me was just a little bit of trolling and also pushing back at the same time. The ADL, though, has has a history here of of bad action. It, It for the record. They did in the past say that something needs to be done on Twitter about Farrakhan, something needs to be on Twitter about Khomeini, but they never called for the cancellation of all of Twitter. The Twitter should shut down until the restoration of Trump, which is unfortunately, sadly typical. The Jonathan Greenblatt's predecessor, Abe Foxman, uh, you know, the, the, the scuttlebutt on the street is that he's very upset with what has happened to the organization after he retired. Because Abe Foxman, although he was a creature of the left, at least he was, you know, his heart was in the right place and he was into calling out anti-Semitism in a nonpartisan fashion. There is, especially in recent years, an amazing blind spot. You have an entire cadre of people on the left who literally, they listen to Ilan Omar paraphrase Mein Kampf 
and they can't call it anti-Semitic. They hear Rashida Tlaib call the only country in the Middle East with both Jews and Arabs in its Supreme Court, in its government, and in its media, and in its universities, and in its hospitals, and you call that the apartheid state, and they say, oh, that's a political position. When what it is, obviously, is classic anti-Semitic bigotry born after this idea of, you know, Jewish supremacy, the chosen people myth, etc. You know, so if they can't recognize simple, classic anti-Semitism, they end up being part of the problem rather than part of the solution. And Jonathan Greenblatt has a history of working in entrepreneurship with really good-hearted left-wing progressive causes and no background in anti-Semitism. He came to the ADL via the Obama state, uh, the Obama administration. Where is his background in anti-Semitism? Zero. All he has a back is a background in left-wing politics. So he thinks that Tucker Carlson is more dangerous than, for example, Rashida Tlaib. And he's and now he seems to think that Donald Trump is more dangerous than the Ayatollah of Iran. As I commented on Twitter, and yeah, thank you for the shout out for my Twitter account, which is why Mencken, uh, I commented that an ADL that really cared about hate and misinformation and harassment would be more, uh, vastly more interested in getting a stop on the, the Ayatollah's multiple Twitter feeds, multiple Twitter accounts, and Louis Farrakhan than Donald Trump. But this is a partisan left-wing organization now masquerading as if it were actually defending the Jews. It's a big problem. Yeah. All right, Rabbi Menken, t- tell us how you really feel. <laughs> Rabbi Menken pulling no punches here on the Vin podcast. But no, very, very, are you really? I, I, I got to say, you know, I, I hear myself talk like that. And I, I don't think I'm being, I, I keep hearing the word courage or bravery. But you got to think, I mean, every guy at Shalashudas is saying this same stuff. (laughs) My job really isn't to articulate what I think. I keep imagining that the 2000 rabbis who are members of Coalition for Jewish Values are looking over my shoulder, plus another 10 or 20,000 who haven't heard of us yet and who really do need to join us, by the way, for all your listeners, uh, because the more rabbis we have, the stronger we are. Uh, my job is really to articulate what all of us are thinking. That's supposed to be what we're about. I appreciate it. I respect it. I still think it's brave and courageous. I don't want to <laughs> downplay that at all, but uh, that's a great point. I want to ask you about Ben Shapiro. And I, you actually mentioned him in a tweet a couple of weeks ago in reference to Candace Owens. Candace Owens, she she made comments about Mein Kampf when, when she was defending Kyrie and Kanye, and she said all sorts of very borderline things. But in general, uh, you know, on the one hand, Ben Shapiro is the most ho- high profile uh, Orthodox Jew, perhaps in the history of American media. I mean, he has millions of followers. He wears a yarmulke on national television, which is huge Kiddush Hashem. And many from Jews look to Ben Shapiro as kind of a representative, heroic in a way. The flip side is maybe he's in a tough spot because many of his followers are not Jewish. And, you know, he's sort of he's out, he not sort of he's extremely outspoken. He kind of has a bullseye on his back. So. Should we expect him to de- defend Jews against the anti-Semitic rhetoric or, you know, maybe he's kind of need kind of needs to protect himself and his family first? I, I don't think it's about his non-Jewish audience or anything like that, because he he speaks conservatism. He's speaking to audiences which in general are very sympathetic with our positions on a whole host of issues. 
And so that's not really the problem. And, and, and on the contrary, he has said himself uh, on, on a different podcast, Reaching the From Community, he said that we need more voices. Why is it that I'm the only guy in a yarmulke who's in, you know, in, in national media? And I'm like, uh, Ben, you do know who Coalition for Jewish Values is. You could be, <laughs> yeah, you could be I'll giving us a shout out right at that moment. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's, uh, you know, the, his, his, his bigger problem is that he has a company to run. And he has a lo- lot of loyalty to that country uh, company. And the co-CEO, Jeremy Boring, really went after um, – there's a guy, Josh Hammer, who's the opinion editor at Newsweek. And he solicited and got a piece by Ellie Steinberg of Lakewood going after Ben and saying, Ben Shapiro needs to listen to Ben Shapiro on anti-Semitism. Because in other cases, he said you can't give your friends a pass. You've got to call out anti-Semitism in non-partial fashion. So why was he giving Candace Owens a, a pass for so long? Finally, Ben did say something. And even Candace Owens, there was a point where she kind of stepped over the line and I said, I wonder if Jeremy Boring is now going to apologize to uh, Steinberg and Hammer because he, it was clear that he was wrong. Yeah. Uh, that That she was willing to dance over a line a little too often. And whether or not you cancel her is one thing. But the fact that Ben finally called out her, you know, he not only did he call her out in public, but she got offended. She said, you know, my phone number is available. You know who I am. You know my number. Why didn't you settle this privately? And the answer is, Candace Owens, if you're going to broadcast this out on Twitter to all your followers, it only makes sense for Ben Shapiro to push back publicly. On Twitter, he did exactly the right thing. It just took him entirely too long to do it. Interesting. Uh, one more question before we get to more about your the Coalition of Jewish Values, your organization. Uh, I always viewed I'm very pro free speech and First Amendment, and I'm very against you know woke cancel culture, as many of my followers are aware. Uh, somebody made the following point to me, and I and I'm struggling with this which is you know, one kind of side benefit we're seeing now, as we talked about earlier in the interview, this venomous hatred, Kanye on Twitter, Kyrie, you know, people kind of feel very free to say things that, that should be considered politically incorrect. And I'm not talking about minorities right now. I'm talking about what they say about Jews. But was there a benefit um, when uh, people would get called out, when people would get canceled? I don't mean just right-wing people who get canceled all the time, but in the 90s, you know, in early 2000s, people were very sensitive, whether it was Islamophobic or whether it was anti-black, but even anti-Jewish rhetoric. You know, it, it was it, it was much more difficult to, to vocalize without there kind of being backlash. And now there kind of is, I think, a little bit of, of a more freedom. And I always thought that was a good thing. And somebody said to me, no, 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 because when there's freedom of speech, then there's freedom to say things against Jews. And for an example... And I don't know if this is accurate, but people said when Elon Musk took over Twitter and they stopped you know, censoring as much, there was a lot more anti-Semitic rhetoric that people were noticing on Twitter. You know, so do you think that that is an issue, that uh, the, the, the one benefit kind of of people censoring is that people are more reluctant to, to vocalize their anti-Semitism? Well, you have to look at the... The the kind of uh, equal platform the Twitter was set out to be, and now under Elon Musk is becoming again. 
uh, because when you go back to the 1990s, there was nothing like Twitter. There were these massive media organs that simultaneously would uh, publish their biased narrative without rebuttal. And on the other hand, there were certain lines they couldn't cross. They just couldn't go too far because of the court of public opinion. And there's obviously no obligation. If if I'm running an actual uh, newspaper or, in today's terms, a website, I don't have an obligation to publish you, right? I decide I want to publish you, but if you say things that are hateful and unreasonable, I have every right to pull the plug and say, I'm sorry, you no longer work for us. That's fine for any private media outlet. The thing about Twitter is it's supposed to be an equal playing field. And if they're really going to go into the business of hate and censorship, the thing about anti-Semitism is it's very often so subtle and it's so often couched in all this human rights nonsense. So it's not just the Ayatollah. The Ayatollah's incitement is open. It's racist. If anybody needs to get shut down, it's him. But there's also a whole series of outlets publishing a one-sided narrative about the Jews on Twitter, especially with regards to Israel, of course, uh, but which we see resulting in attacks on Jews at random, including the attack on a yeshiva student where they insisted the kid, while pelting him with eggs, they insisted that he say free Palestine, which is, of course, a call for the ethnic cleansing of Jews, because that's the only freedom that Palestine currently lacks. Uh, this, This is, you know, this is the kind of stuff that, Uh, Unfortunately, Twitter makes possible and and they engaged in politically motivated curation of content to squelch only right wing voices. They turned off libs of TikTok a number of times. They turned off Babylon B. They turned off Jordan Peterson. And of course, they turned off Donald Trump. All of those accounts, you know, now Elon Musk said, look, we have to have a neutral playing field. Now, does that I mean, there's going to be more uh, more open anti-Semitism. Yeah, but nothing as dangerous as Louis Farrakhan and the Ayatollah, who are already there. So who are the people really listening to? It's not that it's really getting worse. It's now that there are going to be more voices pushing back. Right. Okay. great point. Excellent. Well said. All right. Let me ask you about the Coalition for Jewish Values. Your organization, you're the managing director. It is the largest firm organization that is uh, speaking out and uh, on a mission uh, uh, to deal with, tackle these issues specifically. Um, Why is your organization and your mission, and especially the fact that it's a firm organization that's doing this, why is that so crucial? Well, first of all, you have to look at the amount of damage being done by leftist Jews claiming to speak for Jewish values. So many of the lawsuits right now against reason reasonable limitations on wholesale abortion, wholesale infanticide or feticide, really. Uh, This is being motivated by Jews claiming it's actually a Jewish religious freedom that they need to have. They need to have the freedom to kill the fetus as a Jewish and speaking in the name of the Jewish religion while they do it. And of course, you also have the leftist rabbis claiming it's a Jewish value to demonize the Jews living in the Holy Land. So all of this stuff comes back to a need for people who actually have authenticity to speak about what Jewish values really are. 
And that that goes again to my job not being to articulate what my opinion is. Uh, that's, you know, I, I, I do joke that I spent thousands of dollars on my Zoom backdrop because it, <laughs> it's so valuable to show this forum in the background and that people get that idea that my ideas are not my own, but that I'm listening to rabbis much greater than I am who are getting their ideas from those holy books, you know, the Shulchan Aruch behind me. And and that's what that's of course how it should be. Now, unfortunately, well, unfortunately or fortunately, the job of the major Jewish advocacy organizations is to advocate for the needs of our community. The Aguda has does a tremendous job of you know threading a diplomatic needle, as does the Orthodox Union, and they're all you know both in their slightly different uh, circles, but their job is not to offend those on the left who challenge our values wholesale, but to get those people to at least agree with us that the kids deserve busing and there should be synagogue security and all, and people should be able to leave work early on Erev Shabbos, the things that we really need as a community. But that leaves nobody rebutting this left-wing narrative claiming to speak for the Jews and oh, by the way, amongst our allies, there's nobody stepping forward to defend them and defend our mutual religious liberty and religious interests. For example, if we believe that a foster, a Jewish foster child needs to be placed in a Jewish home to learn Judaism, well, similarly, a Christian foster care agency needs to be able to operate according to its religious precepts. Here's another example where the ADL came down on the wrong side and a Jewish woman was filing a complaint. And it's actually in two stories in two different states where we stood up for Christian foster care agencies, not because we celebrate Christianity, but we're calling the contrary. But we believe that they must have their religious freedom in order for us to have our own. Excellent. Well, really, really great point. So any, you know, that that's really that's the raison d'etre right there of why there needs to be a coalition for Jewish values. And, uh, you know, we do need to be much better known in the in the from community yeah. that we shouldn't be only 2000 rabbis. It's obvious that we represent, like I said, tens of thousands of rabbis who haven't even heard of us yet. Yeah, you represent all of us. And, uh, you know, what my takeaway from that is we, we need an organization that's less diplomatic, as you pointed out, some of the others that are advocating for us have to be diplomatic, you know, and, and cannot speak out. But diplomacy has its place. Not being diplomatic, being a, more of a direct, straight shooter like yourself uh, is something that I, I appreciate now more than ever after speaking with you. The, the, the silence emboldens our enemies and, and silences our friends. I, I heard from one of the, uh, the Christian pro-Israel organizations, a fellow who used to work for one of those organizations said to me, I can't tell you how often I hear from other Christians, how can you spend all your time advocating for the Jews and Israel while the Jews are working against us on our core issues? And what did he mean by our core issues? You know, what are the Christians interested in? Reasonable limitations on abortion, uh, the ability to celebrate only traditional biblical marriages, to not follow the trans agenda and the gay agenda, etc., all of which 
guess what? They got all those ideas from us. <laughs> so why? It's not a coincidence. You know, like I actually, you know, early on, you know, the forward is very left wing paper. Yeah. They said we that, that our organization was espousing positions more often associated with evangelical Christians. And the, to which our unwritten answer was like, well, yeah, where do you think the evangelicals got them from? <laughs> Unbelievable. It's really mind boggling. So somebody has to articulate these things from a Jewish perspective. Right. And, you know, I cannot tell you recently it's been true in several different examples where I was asked to speak or we were asked just sign on a letter along with directors of organizations with budgets in the tens of millions of dollars and audiences and millions of Christians because they need that Jewish voice. A, for general diversity, to make it not Tarian Christian thing, but rather a broader-based values thing, but also because America calls its founding values Judeo-Christian ethics. They recognize it all comes from the Jews. Where are the Jews? If all they hear from the Jews is leftism, it tears down their ability to say, wait a minute, the Bible teaches we should be doing it this way. Rabbi Menken, I got to say, I knew this would be informative. I knew it would be interesting. This has far exceeded all expectations, which were already high. I mean, you're, I love your clear, straight talk. You're very articulate, knowledgeable, and uh, and passionate. Yeah, and and uh, and and this is this is a crucial mission. And very humble about it too. <laughs> I'm the one giving giving the praise here. But uh, <laughs> if you call this fun of over Zoom, all right. Uh, really appreciate this. Hope we can do this again soon. And Yashikaya for all of your work, Rabbi Yaakov Menken, the managing director of the Coalition for Jewish Values on the Vin News podcast. Wow, thank you. Okay. Thanks so much.